Hello and welcome to the Worst of All Possible Worlds, the podcast, which I don't have the thing in front of me. God damn it. There we go. Let's, that's it. That's, the, that's it. No, we're doing that. Great. Uh, I'm the Worst of All Possible AJs. I am the Worst of All Possible Brian's. We are here to talk with you all about the 1992 Sega CD classic, Night Trap. And because this is a podcast, uh, this episode will be called um, Chapo Night Trap House. Night Trap is actually the Control Vision masterpiece that later got ported to the Sega CD because the Control Vision never made it to market. What is what even is a Control Vision, Brian? Uh, well, so first of all, I just want to say before we get into the video juegos, before we become gamers TM, we are the worst of all possible worlds. We are a YouTube channel, and if you follow us on YouTube, subscribe to us, whatever you do the button thing where the stuff happens, um, you'll see that we don't update very frequently. Part of that is because COVID-19 has proven to be a problem when it comes to production. Part of it is that COVID-19 also sent me back to New Mexico and I'm very far away from everyone else. So in order to provide uh, our subscribers, our patrons, um, someone else who might be interested with content that's a little bit more consistent we're also doing a podcast none of this is supplanting what we're doing for the videos you will see just as little as you do already <laughs> and we just want to provide you with just a little bit more with some ideas that we can hash out a little bit quicker or that don't make a video the magnum opus uh that i was writing originally <laughs> yes. for night trap about uh the death of my grandfather uh <laughs> weaving those two things together unfortunately it, it it just didn't have enough of enough material in there. Uh, much like the the house in Night Trap, it was pretty barren and lit like a sitcom. Uh, AJ has played exactly four video games, and each one of them has killed a grandparent. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I can't play anymore. I'm out of grandparents. To <laughs> and sacrifice. if you don't meet his demands, he'll play again. <laughs> Who's? It'll just kill somebody's grandparents. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but we are fully vaccinated. We are going into production on our next video very soon. We are. And uh, you're, you're, you're going to be seeing from us very soon. Okay, so the Control Vision, or the code name Nemo, this was a machine that used VHS tape. Okay, so I remember when I was a kid, I had this, like, stuffed animal bear that came with a VHS that you could watch along with it. And at certain points oh. while you watched along, the bear would talk at the screen. Like it would no sync way. up with what was happening on the screen. I don't How? remember the name of it. Uh, was it like a Rob? Did it like read the screen through its eyes or something? I think so. It was, it was, it was like Whoa. a lots of hug and bear, but it wasn't quite <laughs> that, but you're saying there was an entire video game system. That was basically that concept. Yeah, so I'll walk this back just a, a couple of seconds. FMV or interactive film video goes back to the 50s, at least. There have been a couple of instructional things. There was a driving instruction video that would, or not video, it was film, that would project onto a screen and a student uh, pretending to steer would then move the screen left or right, sort of like some toys that came along later. Um, well, that poor, there was that a, poor kid. Yeah, there was in the 60s, there was a Czech film where an audience could vote on what the next reel was going to be. 
based on a choice that was made. And half the choices were completely false, but like three of them did actually matter. Nintendo actually got into this before they were making video games. In the 1970s, there was a shooting gallery in Japan that was all run on film. And so people would grab a light gun of sorts and it was all multiple projectors and film and somehow that worked. I don't know how. So that existed in the 70s. In the 80s, of course, we start seeing it integrated into a video game market, right? Um, Video games had been sold since about 1970 with the Magnavox Odyssey uh, as appliances, and then the arcade started picking up Pong, etc. And then 83 rolls around. The Laserdisc is a a viable piece of technology, and so people start building video games for Laserdisc. Wow. Two games come out in 83. One is made by Sega. This will be important. Remember, Sega is involved. Sega. And it's called Astron Belt. And it was a space shooting game. Like Wing Commander or something. I don't know. Uh, The other one was the one we all associate with Laserdisc games, Dragon Slayer by Don Bluth. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, they also had an arcade version of that, too, I know. Uh, Uh, And that's what these were. These were not home games. These were arcade games. They did not develop them for home systems, except that Rick Dyer then made the Halcyon system, a voice-operated Laserdisc home system that never made it to market. I'm really glad that he got a project off the ground with a name like Rick Dyer. Like that. <laughs> well, it went about as well as expected, I guess, for that kind of name. Oh, no. Uh, that was the subject of a really great H-Bomber guy video uh, about the Halcyon, about Dragon's Lair, and about uh, Laserdisc games. Oh, I don't think That's I've worth it. checking out. Um I think it's called Halcyon Dreams. Oh, nice. At the same time, uh, this uh, project being worked on called The Nemo was uh, being developed by Nolan Bushnell, Tom Zito, James Riley, uh, and Steve Wozniak was also on this group of people making these devices. Bushnell was mostly working in interactive advertising at this time, hmm. but then they got this idea for a home system. So this home system used a remote control and a bunch of videotapes. Of course, uh, British video game consoles used cassette tapes a lot to store code. Uh-huh. Uh, that was less common in the US. But this would use one tape to store code, and then the rest of the tapes would be actual video and audio tracks that played simultaneously one on top of the other. And so the FMV was born. And so, it, yeah, the home FMV system. And so in 1985, James Riley. Uh, He prototyped something because they're going to sell it to Hasbro. They want to get Hasbro to develop this machine. You got to get that Hasbro money. Develop something called Scene of the Crime. It's someone is like trying to keep his jewels from being stolen. Like we all do. Who hasn't been there? I I mostly run my jewels. There we go. There it is. Uh, And then, yeah, you try to figure out who done it at the end. Uh, In my very, very uh, little amount of research that I did uh, prepping for this episode, I did see that if you failed that particular game that a woman spoke directly into the camera and screamed at you for not paying good enough attention and made you restart the game uh which i thought was hilarious i mean th- that's that's the uh, precursor to resident evil village and uh the internet collectively whispered step on <laughs> Um, so Hasbro made this, they greenlit it, and so then they moved on to a full-fledged project, a 23-minute-long multi-camera game called Night Trap, which was originally about ninjas, also, I think, trying to steal jewels. And then a bunch of notes later, they didn't want anything violent. 
right? They didn't want things that kids could imitate. So there's no impacts in Night Trap. Huh. There's nothing replicable. There's some guns, which I guess was okay. I don't know. Yeah, but, but they're, they're pretty quickly disarmed. Uh, and the main thing that the the augers, these toothless vampires that are the main grunts of the game, use is this big like hook that wraps around the back, not the front, the back of your neck. Uh-huh. And then like a drill kind of goes in, but you don't see it go in the skin. You just see it go through into another part of the device. Mm-hmm. And then it sucks your blood out through a tube in a very kind of medical and not salacious way. Oh, absolutely. And <laughs> the the needle, it's uh, the drill itself yeah. looks like a hollowed out calligraphy pen. Yes. Just like yes. spinning very quickly. <laughs> it's it's very goofy. Everyone is walking in their knees and hobbling back and forth because they're all uh, going to fall through trap doors and they needed to fall through the trap doors as safely as possible. <laughs> And they also needed to move slowly to provide gamers with the clue to hit the button to trap them. I, I'm i so glad that you explained that to me because I thought it was the goofiest, the goofiest fucking walk. I, I never at any point felt like any character was truly in danger because what are they, what are those hand bucklers yeah. going to do? And uh, James, James Riley uh, talked about that. He said the uh, the Augs came out of a series of bad notes. They look it. Uh, yeah. There's there's a there's a part where they're uh, taking one of the teens away, and you can see through the stocking uh, on yes. one of their yes. heads, and it looks extraordinarily like Toby from The Office. And so for the <laughs> entire rest of the game that I watched, I just imagined that all of them were Toby from The Office, and. and- yeah, they probably all were. It's probably just the same two guys over and over again. It was it it it, it greatly amplified my viewing experience. <laughs> just be like, hey, could you could you come with me? We have to we have to drain your blood. And uh, I just come on. Well, and that's kind of what they are. They're like toothless. Their skin is falling off. They're just complete losers. They're they're called charity by the other vampires. The charity cases by the very gay, uh, low rent Alan Cumming. Yeah, well, um, well, they are charity cases, but they're also charity yeah. cases that the vampires themselves created. Yes, <laughs> which I don't. I sure. I guess. Look, sometimes you know you get a pet. It doesn't really work out, but you're not just going to get rid of them. Yeah, and I mean, I guess the Augs do trick them into leaving the house so they could, you know, yeah, get the yeah, rest of the blood. Yeah, they've got something going for them because the vampires don't want the Augs there. Um. Yeah. So this this you know very low budget, but they got some real talent on board. They had to shoot everything really bright and like a sitcom in order to keep it mostly continuous uh, on time. And because they didn't know how black would look in the formats they were going to go for, hmm. um, you know, so they had to keep it very very bright. Even though the original idea was ninjas because they could hide in the dark. Um, so they're walking around a sitcom set. They have a sitcom star. They got Dana Plato, who at the time was a very big name. She was on different strokes. Oh, no way. Um, that's her as the, that's Kelly, the scat agent who, who talks to the camera and is like, go on control. Yeah, you can do Um, it. Yeah. Uh, well, first of all, (laughs) scat, I, we have to scat, scat. We simply must unpack scat. Uh, who, how did that? So many people had to say yes to scat. Again, I think part of it was making it silly and non-threatening. I think it was very intentional to just make it kind of kind of s- stupid. <laughs> and at no point did anybody try and scat. 
I think is a missed opportunity. No, no. you know, maybe uh, that one scat agent who did the weird like Jamaican thing in that one scene. Yeah. Maybe okay. he had a he, cut scene where he was scatting. I don't know. There's there's a lot of stuff that baffled me about it. But <laughs> I, I think there's something to, you know, you always want actors to like make strong choices, right? Yeah. And what I love about it is that he made a strong choice and he made a different strong choice for every scene he was in. <laughs> And as a viewer, I find that enjoyable. And I was like, yeah. I, I, I truly had no idea what would happen in the next scene. Well, and everything about Night Trap in terms of the the things that you're watching is enjoyable. I think it's just such a delightful little game. It really um, is. I, I I went into this with very different expectations of what the thing was. I, I had always assumed that Night Trap was uh, like a normal like slumber party, like an 80s slasher slumber uh -huh. party that is then yeah. invaded yeah. by an army of the dead that they didn't have like the budget for. Yeah. So they put them just in like all black clothing and just had people run away. <laughs> I did not realize that the lore of this game went as deep as it did or as hard as it did. There are vampires. There are half vampires. There is an entire arc there's, with sunglasses. I need to talk about Tony. There's Tony. There's, yeah, the the weird neighbor who knows about the vampires. And weird then there's a Eddie. I would die for weird Eddie. There's a laser gun that has no nothing to do with anything else. It shows up. It handles a couple times and it leaves. Well, I because it, it, it's the wind. And button, also, right? you the can't have main, the wind button. And also, the main level vampires can harness lightning to shoo away. <laughs> the well, Oggs. Every time Tony appears on on screen, a new vampire power is introduced. I, I wrote this down. Yeah. Uh, every time Tony appears, shit's a, you know shit's <laughs> about to go down because he I, introduces hypnosis. He introduces uh, yeah. he, teleportation. He, teleportation. He introduces. Uh, I think he throws a guy out a window at one point, or is that is that Discount Allen coming? Um, uh, that's Discount Allen coming. Yeah, right. which he oh man, he just swishes him right out the window. It is beautiful. It's magnificent to behold. And 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 speaking of gay moments, also Tony's read of you stay out of this. <laughs> I looked him up. I think he's heterosexual. Uh, unless he has the same name as someone else, I believe he's like an MMA guy. Oh really? Now, yeah. That's funny. He he cannot act, uh, old Tony. No. Tony Thank God. Uh, if we had more good actors in this, it wouldn't be anywhere near as beautiful. That's true. I believe, I believe though, that Tony is the worst actor yes. of everyone involved. And I, I found it kind of, I don't know, disarming that he was a better actor with sunglasses on than with sunglasses <laughs> off. I got more emotional range from him when I could not see his eyes. <laughs> Well, and everyone's far away too, so that helps him as well. Once you get to the close-ups, you're just you're it's it's no good. Uh, but you, you, you can tell this is a thirty-day shoot. Twenty. What are you talking about? 30, 31 day shoot. Twenty-seven of those days were on the were in the studio, mm -hmm. and then the driveway scenes were all done on location in an out, actual outdoor space. Oh wow! I thought those were yeah. also on a lot. It looks very fake. <laughs> it really does. Were they in? Were they in a bayou or like? No, I think I think they were in California. Um, I think it's just all the light. Uh, okay. I have I have a couple of lines I would like to read. Uh, yes. That struck me uh, from Tony's performance uh, that I thought were almost leveled me entirely. Uh, 
You remind me of someone I dated long ago, <laughs> but that can <laughs> never be. <laughs> uh, as as he's walking into the mirror onto the bare ass uh, set background. <laughs> <laughs> that bathroom, man. Um, okay, here's here's a logistical question I had about the vampires. Yeah, they've lived for presumably centuries, right? I, I think yeah, probably a couple hundred years. Because uh, Dana Plato finds the picture on the piano that looks like it's maybe 19th century. Right. They've gone through several generations, at least, of human culture, and they decide to decorate their house like that. Yeah, that's right. That was the pinnacle, really. I, I, uh, the rug that only covers like maybe a 13th of the floor. <laughs> and then it's just like, I don't know, wood. That, yeah. That upstairs hallway is so tragic. It's just that thin carpet running down the middle. It's moving. It's like watching Plan 9 from Outer Space when they're in the cemetery. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I, there are lines in this that 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 will that will stick with me, I think, for the rest of my life. Things like uh, the vampire daughter pointing into a room and saying, "This is my favorite bedroom," to which I say, <laughs> "What the fuck are you talking about?" I I also love the arc of Lisa, who has the the infamous scene where she's in the bathroom and gets the auger uh, in her neck. Yes, uh, because Lisa's entire arc is that she goes upstairs and then gets ready to go to bed. <laughs> she goes to the bathroom, she pulls out her makeup and stuff, and then, like, the next time you see her, she's in a nightgown, she's tying up her hair. All the girls are, like, going outside to, like, swim in the lake after dark. Very and right. she's like, nope, not for me. <laughs> she had a long day. Look, she just yeah. met this vampire daughter at the mall, they had a long day shopping together, and then she agreed to go to this undisclosed location in the middle of a swamp. <laughs> She's she's all tuckered out. She yeah. has to go to bed right yeah, then. She's she's a perfectly reasonable person. She's just like, I'm going to sleep. She doesn't even tell anyone I'm going to sleep. She's just like, they'll figure it out. She's also <laughs> looking in the mirror while she's applying makeup when there is an auger in the shower right behind her. <laughs> like she looks in the mirror at the place where she would see him and is just yeah. like, nah, lipstick. Uh, oh, and the the awful choice to have them look directly into the camera when they're looking into the mirror, as opposed to looking just past the lens somewhere. Mm -hmm. Like, well, ugh. especially because Kelly speaks directly to us as control several times, and right, uh, and it repeats that visual language and is very confusing. Uh, here's another line that uh, will live with me till the day I die. Uh, Tina Fey is there, uh, and at one point <laughs> plays a, uh, a a a a racket. Uh, and sings yes. the titular song Night Trap. Uh, and she also has this line, which I, Brian, you and I are both writers. I think yeah. that we strive to leave behind words strung together in a certain way that will survive the test of time and inspire generations to come. And I'm going to tell you, I will never write anything as good as... <laughs> I came up here for fast boys and fast boats, and I got this. Uh, she has a number of great moments. They give her the Christopher Durang monologue, too, where she talks about uh, testing poisonous makeups on rats. 
<laughs> while clamping down her own wrist. Oh no, I don't like it here. I forgot about that. It's 100% a Christopher Durang monologue and it also sets up Lisa's possible death because she gets a clamp down on the back of her neck instead of her wrist. Oh, don't tell me there's foreshadowing in this. And the other thing I will say is that by while watching everything, it's just I, my mind was boggled by the sheer amount of work that ha- was put into this project. Like the amount yeah. of like different paths that you could take, the choreography of moving around this trap house. Yeah. yeah. Which seemed incredibly dangerous. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, James Riley talks about his job as director. All he did was time things out on a stopwatch, right? He just trusted the actors to do what they could, which makes everyone's performance way more impressive. Wow. Because all he gave them was, you got to get out now. You got to go to the next room now. You got to enter now. All this. Because they shot it room by room. Right. So all the bedroom scenes, then all the first hallway scenes, then all the kitchen scenes, you know. You're shooting like like a Friday the 13th plot. On right. a Legends of the Hidden Temple set. Yeah. And you have to have a perfect continuity between the rooms, which you don't have to do in fucking Friday the 13th. Right. Right. Uh, and, okay, so I want to talk a little bit about the gameplay of this. Because yeah. Uh, yes. Well, I've got opinions. Because um, uh, it's, it's, it's a very hard game. Because uh, I love Night Trap, the interactive video experience. Night Trap, the game, sucks shit. It's awful. It's terrible. Yeah. Yeah. It is a 23 and a half minute game. In those 23 and a half minutes, you have to capture 100 augers. Right. And um, uh, to be fair, they do travel in packs, so you are getting two at a time. Sometimes. Not really. No, it's it's 100 captures. Oh, so it doesn't yeah. even count it by the auger. It just counts it by its successful trap implementation. I believe so. So that, that averages out to about four captures every single minute. And the way the game works, the augers are stalking around the house. So right. they're everywhere except where the action is. So the yeah. game, because this is, you know, this is the 80s. This is a time when games were just supposed to be throwing challenges at you. And they didn't really think about what the main dotted line was, what you wanted the player to experience. It was always supposed to give you challenge. Right. And so this game ramps it up. There could So up to the point where the song Night Trap happens, that's the first like checkpoint. Yeah. Where if you don't capture enough augers, uh, you're done. That's like five minutes in. There are 31. I don't many. remember the number that you have to capture. There should be six, and you should have to capture four. <laughs> <laughs> and and really, the captures that are interesting are the ones where it actually changes a character's fate, right? And there right. aren't a lot of branching paths. It wasn't designed to do that. That's fine. Um, sure. But those are the ones that actually feel like they matter, and they're the ones where you actually have to watch the scene and then react to the scene, as opposed to just go to another room while all the good stuff is happening. Right. If you, if you try and search to like watch Night Trap as like a, uh, just all the scenes, like all the, the yeah. acting scenes, yeah. there is one cut of it uh, on YouTube, but every other one is just like 100% speed run and you don't yeah. see anything. Like no. you see maybe like three seconds of like one of the FMVs, but then I have to cut away to go mm-hmm. to another part of the house to make sure, you know, send them down the, down the yeah, trap. So there, there's no real sense of like what good game design would be. And it's not that unique to this team. And it's not that unique to a game from 1985. It's It didn't stand out that much in 1993 either. Hmm. Um, and we have to talk about that because Hasbro killed this machine. It ended up being way more expensive than the NES because the NES came out. 
right. uh, in, in the meantime. So they ditched it. That video went away. And then once CD-ROMs started coming into the, the mainstream, uh, that's when you could put video on. So the Sega CD uh, bought these old games because they already existed eight, uh, seven or eight years later right. to finally release them. Uh, and like it was made in year, 1986, right? The, the actual stuff was filmed uh, in 86? Uh, I, 85 or 86, yeah. Yep. So, like, you see the interviews with people, like, a year after the controversy, and they're all so much older, and they have kids, and, like, you know, it's like they're, you know, because they're, like, in their 20s playing teenagers, and now they're in their 30s, and they're like, oh, yeah, that thing. And none of them... <laughs> I almost no died one, in that house. <laughs> and no one making it thought, oh, this is going to be controversial. They didn't think, oh, this is edgy. It was a very silly, dopey project, and it looks like people actually genuinely had fun on it. Yeah. And they had some incredible talent, not just Dana Plato, but the DP was Don Burgess, who then went on to shoot uh, Forrest Gump, Aquaman, uh, Contact, Flight, Enchanted, mm. The Terminator, Spider-Man. Wait, like this Aquaman? Like the <laughs> current Aquaman? Aquaman? <laughs> the Jason, Jason Momoa one, yes. N- not the Aquaman in the nope. Entourage TV show? Like no, the actual no, Aquaman? the real one. Yeah. So he's he's worked on on dozens of projects. He, I mean, he's a D, he's a very good professional DP. Yeah, well, I, and I feel like he, his hands were really tight on this one because mm-hmm. you couldn't move the camera. Right, really. you had to shoot it sort of like a sitcom, but you only had one camera, and it was shot on thirty-five millimeter film. This is cinema. <laughs> what you're saying cinema. to me is that Night Trap is cinema. See, Roger Ebert just failed to consider Night Trap. I think we all failed to consider Night Trap. I wish I had. Yeah known more about it because I think the thing that I know most about Night Trap is the controversy surrounding it, which is why I didn't right. even know there were vampires in it. And and, and it, even even the portrayal of the controversy was always just made it look like, yeah, it was just a slasher. It was just some slasher. Yeah. Um, and the depiction of it in so much media afterwards, because it wasn't available in a whole lot of things later on, like in the 2000s when people were, when we had G4 who was talking about Night Trap and stuff, yeah. it would be depicted sometimes as a game where you were trapping the women as opposed to one where you were saving them. Oh. And they always made it sound like it was violent when it it was it just wasn't. I mean you can't you can't no sexual content. I will say there is there is that ending where Yeah, but it's more that'll happen. It's more that'll happen just because you miss the button. Um there are some things that you could, I guess, do intentionally, but it's more likely you won't do it intentionally. And the game doesn't give you like an option to be like, hey, do you want to be evil now and hurt the ladies? How, how would you say that the gameplay compares between this and, and something like FNAF? I think it compares in that they're both very bad. <laughs> um, oh, I don't God. Like FNAF. Oh, and again, God. We're, it's we're just gone. a matter of... We're done on it's YouTube. Just a matter, yeah, it's just a matter of waiting. You know, each of those games is just like, you know, you miss something or whatever and you just... <sighs> spend time and it just gets very frustrating and repetitive both of these games i think there's a great concept here in using you know as someone who makes immersive things uh in using the security camera idea sure i just don't i have not found a game that has actually done it well the closest i would say would be sam barlow's um her story which is not security cameras but it is kind of the same kind of thing yeah. where you're going back and forth between different videos, but it's to solve a puzzle that has no durational aspect to it. Right. It's just when um, you figure it out, you figure it out. And it's and it's built around the actual substance. It's built around you actually seeing the cool stuff. That that um, that being yeah. said, uh, her story, there's some logic jumps in that game that completely Absolutely. stumped me. And I had to look it up yeah. in a guide. Uh, 
But it's a really great game, and I hear the the lying one mm-hmm. that he that he also did. Yeah, telling lies. I have not played that one. I, I want. I've to. heard really good things. Um, so I just kept thinking uh, the whole time I was watching it that this was the weirdest episode of True Blood that I'd ever seen. <laughs> Uh, at, and I was a little bit sad that at no point uh, none of the vampires yelled Sookie. So. Yeah. Well, and I think there, there is something that I just want to celebrate the characters and the silliness of this story, right? It's a bunch of girls that go up to a winery where some other girls have already been trapped before. Right. Because they met <laughs> some, the girl at the mall that day. <laughs> some bizarre paramilitary group has been observing this house but doesn't want to make it too obvious yet. Uh, Scatman Struthers, and, I believe. And yes, yeah. Uh, and so all of these kids go and they sing Night Trap together, a song that presages the problems they're about to face. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, meanwhile, the vampire teenage boys keep Well, Tina Fey is Cassandra in this case. And Tina right? Fey is, uh, keeps keeps singing Night Trap. Yeah. She she um, she predicts their futures. That's. <laughs> <laughs> she she is momentarily yeah, possessed that's true. by like that's true. divine inspiration. The Christopher Durang monologue, yeah. yeah, and and the song. She is she doesn't know that she's predicting the future, but she is. What is the name? Uh, I, I and, call her White Shorts. She she was like the uh, like the tall model who I'm not. Yes. I, I couldn't for the life of me determine what character characteristics her her her, her character had at she's, all. Yeah, she's the one who eats the blood popsicle. Um, oh, that's right. That's another great scene. The timing in that is so perfect because she like spits out the blood popsicle. Tina Fey turns is like, what? Then turns back to the refrigerator and sees a corpse <laughs> and just screams. <laughs> uh, and like, you know, the one shitty blonde vampire who was in love with a girl in the 1840s. That's Tony. That's, that's, that's our good man, Tony. That's, sun, that's Sunglasses McGee. You know, that... There, it's so it it really is so deep, like how how weird the lore is, how the traps are built, how how they go behind in the trap world, but they don't free the Ogs. The Ogs are just already trapped once you've trapped them, because right. who cares? And then Scat finally shows up at the end, even though they could have been there the whole time. And why is there a teenage girl who's a member of Scat? It's a great question. And why? I mean, and why does she just have a fucking gun? And the little brother like gets captured, but then doesn't get captured and then dies. I think I think the brother is well, dead. That's the weird thing. Uh, they must have had some version where they thought it would go all the way to the end, even when those characters died that you have to save. Right. Because they always disappear after you save them. Interesting. So they just kind of um, run. Lisa, because like Lisa, if she doesn't get captured in the bathroom, she runs into the bedroom and escapes out the window and is gone. Right. Um, if Tina Fey doesn't get dropped in the hole and you do drop the attacker in the hole, she runs out of the house and she's gone along with the blood popsicle girl. Hmm. Um, and so at the end, all you have is, is Dana Plato. That's right. And the vampire family. Yeah. And then you get rid of the vampire family. <laughs> Ta-da. I love, I love when, uh, the elderly where the elder vampire, the, the patriarch of the family, uh, gets shot several times with a shotgun and yes. says, uh, your shot, your shots have no effect on me, but the holes that are and inside he's glowing. of them are just glowing <laughs> as if the inside of vampires are not human. It's, light. it's just light. It's just light. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, and then of course he get, delivers the best throwing a person out a window. I think I've ever seen on film. It's so, it's so nonchalant and limp wristed. It's like, eh. it's just like, no. <laughs> Brian, I don't want to lie to you. I, the, the dramaturgy that was uh, uh, that was in this Night Trap game 
surprised me and delighted me yeah. to no end yeah. because I I was not expecting that. This is Night Trap. Yeah. This is a punchline. <laughs> this has been a punchline in in video games for 25 yeah. years, 29 years now. Uh yeah, so I I was thoroughly delighted. I I was so not looking forward to to watching this. I thought it would be very cheesy and boring and in fact was perhaps one of the one of the best video game cutscenes uh, I've ever seen. I mean, everything about it that's not good just actually makes it better, um, except for the gameplay because the gameplay just ruins it. <laughs> I mean, the first time you lose, if you don't get the you know enough of the first thirty one augs, the song ends and then it just cuts out. There are actually a couple of other fail states that are cool where. Yeah. Uh, Alan Cumming will unplug the control box and then throw you down in a hole somehow. I don't really know how that works because you're in another place just watching on a screen. But well, he could teleport. That's part of the charm. Uh, no, no, it's just they turn to the camera and then the camera drops down a hole. Uh, I I know now now I'm just now I'm just <laughs> naming moments that I like, but the fact that the Sheila, who is the the matriarch of the family, mm. uh, gets caught in a trap and she she just screams. New bed trap. (laughs) And the patriarch looks at him and is like, well, I was going to tell you. And then she just flies through. I wanted it to be a surprise. (laughs) And she's still sitting there. She sits there for like five seconds before it launches her out of the room. She had time. She could teleport. She's a vampire. (laughs) She could have just stood up. Uh, The the guy who's not Tony, the the brother in the family who's not Tony, perhaps the oldest brother, uh, who every time he does something that he likes his uh his shirt is tucked into his jeans uh with no belt and he grabs the <laughs> yep. loops of his jeans and he just kind of goes he, he pulls him up and goes yeah i did that's that. the 80s man it's the 80s no belts but you got to keep those jeans high he gave me some very dj tanner's boyfriend vibes steve was his name i believe sure yeah i mean it, it helps that that night trap is a miller boy at sitcom with vampires it's all I ever wanted, Brian. Why? Why? Why is that? Why was why that not they, a thing? Th- this is what they took from us. Return to tradition. This set the tone for other FMV games. The Seventh Guest came out the next year on CD-ROM for computer. Um, Where does Mist fit into all this, Brian? Mist comes out right after that, and of course, Mist is a an FMV game. The FMV is limited, right? But it's good, and and FMV became such a standard, right? Even though live action stuff. Uh, really peaked. You had Johnny Mnemonic, you had the Star Trek The Next Generation game, you had the X-Files game, uh, which spent a lot of money and no one remembers them. Oh my God. I, also I had, did not until you mentioned yeah. it, but yeah. <laughs> you also, uh, also the Tech War game with William Shatner based on his books. <clears throat> What's the one where um, Tim Curry is a Russian general? Com- uh, Command and Conquer. There's a, I forget what it's called. There's a mystery game with Christopher Walken. Mark Hamill also did Command and Conquer games. Oh wow! Um, Do they get like a big it, name, like Baddie, for each one? Was Mark Hamill the bad guy, or I, I have not played them. I'm I think Toby to Jones is know. in it too. Like it got, they got a lot of really oh, big name talent. Yeah. yeah. Where was Wallace Shawn? Wallace Shawn should have been in all of these. Uh, I have a very. He'll do anything for a paycheck. He he uh, he will. But I I I I just want a my dinner with Andre game now. That's all I'm thinking of. <laughs> You gotta press the Bon Mott button. No, no, you, um, you, uh, you play the waiter. 
trying to eavesdrop on this conversation. It's a stealth game. It's the sequel to Thief. Uh, yeah, so, you know, FMVs became a, a standard thing. So games like Myst would use them in a limited capacity. Uh Final Fantasy series. It's the whole reason Square moved over to PlayStation because right. Nintendo couldn't do FMV. Wow. And all of the big CGI sequences, and that's actually going to be important later. I All the big CGI sequences in Final Fantasy VII are FMV. I can't believe we found a way to tie quests into this. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, guess what? This is going to get more serious. Oh, uh, no. Right after the break. This week's episode is brought to you by The Color Orange. Friends, have you ever looked at something red and thought, could use more yellow? Then why not give orange a try? Our top scientists have developed a state-of-the-art color that critics are saying would probably go well with a nice vermilion or ochre. Having a party? Why not orange? Having a bad day? There's an orange for that. Your wife left you for a hot barista? Cindy? 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 So try orange today. Because orange is the purple of yellows. We were on a break! There we go. Uh, it's, my David Schwimmer is actually more Jerry Seinfeld, I'm realizing. <laughs> so the early days of video games, you know, starting with the Magnavox Odyssey in 1970, um through Pong and the arcades and Space Invaders in 79 and, you know, um, mm -hmm. the Atari games. Most of the backlash centered around how addictive they were. Right. Um, kids were spending hours in front of the TV. Uh, I don't know why that's the voice. But, and they um, should be outside looking at that rusty can. <laughs> and... Uh, and repetitive strain injury was uh, was a, a big thing that <clears throat> went around. Like like, 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 car like carpal tunnel and that sort of thing. Like, well, yeah. I mean, when you and when you think about it, there's probably a lot of legitimacy to that because those old controllers were ass awful, right? The Magnavox Odyssey was kind of a little pyramid shape with two knobs, which might be okay. Um, right. But for an Atari game where you have to be more precise and more repetitive, you're holding a, a stick. And you're moving your entire wrist a very small amount over and over and over again. So I could I see just, how that could cause some trouble. Yeah, I, um, I would just like to say that Brian uh, visually showed that to me over uh -huh. our Discord chat, and uh, it it was it was pretty provocative. I waggled it's, my joystick. <laughs> We're going to be called in front of a Senate hearing. <laughs> I hope so. For this, for this podcast, I'll, I'll call them all out. You want to go after me, Joe Lieberman? I'll eat your fucking kids for breakfast. Lieberman, right score one for you. Um, so that, that was a big thing. There was some question about like aggression or competitiveness. But back then, games were not necessarily seen as just a kid's thing. They kind of were. But they were also like hmm. a thing that the whole family sat around and enjoyed. And you can actually see that a little bit with the idea behind Night Trap. Uh, in Night Trap, right. the initial uh, intro sequence from the original version, that's not the Sega CD version, um, mm -hmm. they use the pronoun they to refer to you, the gamer, when talking to other people. Um, oh, and it's not a, it's not just a gender neutral they, it's a plural. They say, they, they use it as a plural sense. Almost mm -hmm. as though the whole family is going to sit around with their remote control and control how this game works. Well, that um, makes sense. A Night, night yeah. Trap, I feel like, is like the most friendly to spectator. Like, it's a, it's a yeah. big spectator game. And, and that's a big part of how these games were seen. They were sold in appliance stores, hardware stores. Magnavox sold the Magnavox Odyssey at the Magnavox TV dealership. Oh. Um, 
I used the Magnavox Odyssey, even though it wasn't a very successful console, just because it was the first. But like that was not the standard by 1982. Is it, was that the one that ha- was was it had like a controller uh, with a calculator on it, or was that a little bit? That later? was the ColecoVision, which was, was actually the controller that they modified to show off scene of the crime. Um, yeah, it had a little like number pad, and then like you had to put the heel of your hand on this little knob. And use that as a stick to play Pitfall or whatever. Yes, I break your wrist for Pitfall. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And of course, the gaming industry collapsed, right? Arcades collapsed, home games collapsed, ET got buried outside of Roswell. Yeah, by the crate. Yeah, tons of money just vanished overnight, which is why Nolan Bushnell was moving on to other things Uh, until Nintendo comes along. And in Japan, They release the Famicom, that's very successful, and then they decide to bring it over to the United States. Nintendo changes things. They do not sell the NES, even though they made it look like a VCR in in the U.S. market. They didn't sell it as an appliance. You didn't buy it at an appliance store. You didn't buy it near the appliance. There wasn't really an electronics section yet, but you didn't buy it at Radio Shack. You bought it at KB, Toys R Us, Walmart, in the toy section. U.S. toys are sold to boys and to girls in separate aisles, right? You have the section with the dolls, the Barbies, and you have the section with the Hot Wheels. They are separate from each other. Right. Um, Nintendo decides if it's going to sell as a toy, it's going to sell as a boy's toy. Hmm. And so this actually creates a gender disparity that was not as present in early gaming. Interesting. Arcades were not a boy's thing. Now, I mean, you play Dragon's Lair. That is a game that is clearly made for 12-year-old boys. Right. (laughs) Like, but it was not seen as a boy's thing. It was not seen as a child's thing. Adults went to arcades. I mean, people talk about, like, in the early 80s, people would get off work and go to the arcade still dressed up in their business clothes. Um, Bring it back, Brian. That's what people did back then because Ronald Reagan was president. What the fuck else were you going to (laughs) do? (laughs) <laughs> wait, wait. Just so Reagan snort being cocaine and die of communicable diseases? Yeah, I mean, yeah. Yeah. We'll get to that as well. That's actually important here, too. Um, the layers underneath Night Trap. It's like, <laughs> I thought that I was just standing in a house, but lo and behold, the floor <laughs> goes out from underneath me and I'm plummeting into a vampire nightmare. And so now please. You're, now you're wishing that you had been walking with your knees bent the whole time. My shin bones are coming out of my (laughs) rib cage. Uh, So Nintendo, when it introduces this toy, the Nintendo Entertainment System, it also brings along with it the Nintendo Seal of Quality. Now, the Nintendo Seal of Quality is a license. Every game has to pay for this. And Nintendo gets a bigger share of the profits than a lot of other systems. And it has to go through Nintendo to be able to get the proprietary hardware to make the game for the NES. Now, some right. games did subvert it. They're mostly forgotten today. Um, yeah, and a lot of that was done because Nintendo wanted to prevent piracy. Uh, this they wanted came to up present, a lot in the Quest yeah. research, yeah. They wanted to prevent piracy. They wanted to prevent shovelware to a certain degree, although there's a lot of shitty games on the NES. Let's not lie to ourselves. Um, no, a, a lot of it was a, just kind of a scam. To and get. there was content control, right? You couldn't make something... You couldn't, like, one of the only pornographic NES games was Bubble Bath Babes, and of course that did not receive the Nintendo Seal of Quality that was released as a pirated uh, object. Sure, yeah. It's just a puzzle game where you see naked pixel ladies. Um. (laughs) I mean, look, once upon a time, the, you know, 
the original Laura Croft worked for people. So I'm sure yeah, it's true. Still that, works for me. So sharp. <laughs> That's how I like my women. <laughs> so it's, it's, yeah. So it's worth noting gaming is becoming younger is becoming more male and, and by that tack, the games are being developed specifically for boys. Uh, this is important. Right. This is actually something that's worth noting. In the 1980s, there was a general push in art to make things that were more extreme, right? Violence got more extreme. Sexuality got more extreme. Sexual violence got more extreme. This was the era that Paul Verhoeven was a top-of-the-line filmmaker and not just some weird Dutch right. freak. I would, I would argue patriotism got more extreme, too. Patriotism got way more extreme, right? It's, it was a completely metastasized, like, just, you know. And to the point where, like, when we were teenagers, the movies that were coming out in the 2000s were not anywhere near as gruesome as, like, the popular, like, the basic action movies. Nowhere near what was going on in the 80s. Yeah, I remember uh, <laughs> at Terminator 2, Judgment uh, Day, uh, yeah. when, when her skin gets torn off of her i remember being a kid and like watch walking in on that being playing on tv and I, it was so traumatizing watching a woman f being you know flailed from a nuclear explosion <laughs> i mean like look at the fucking indiana jones movies any of them Ooh. except for crystal skull which people's people just kind of dissolve into skeletons in crystal skull uh, yeah. A movie which I will defend. I actually like most of it. I haven't seen it long enough. I remember being having that visceral first reaction yeah. against it, but I mean, <laughs> it, it's probably fine. But the the first three, you know, um, Raiders of the Lost Ark has people's heads melting and exploding. Yeah. Oh God. Temple of the the Ark of the Temple Covenant of Doom scene. was such a, a cavalcade of violence that it created the PG thirteen rating. But you have to remember, Temple of Doom came out and it was rated PG. Yeah. Uh, and the Last Crusade even has the guy whose entire face sinks in because he drinks from a bad cup. Well, I wonder about the nudity in the 80s, too, because I know yeah. that there were PG movies that had like full, full bared breasts in them. Right. Uh, you know, and, and, and this was the time that we got like Fast Times at Ridgemont High and, you know, all of these porkies. Right. I don't necessarily know. Was it like in the late 80s when the, the more of the puritanical stuff started to come down from the MPAA I think, or was it? Well, from the MPAA, things were changing over the course of the 80s. And some of these okay. groups that later take up an issue with the video games. They're taking mm. up issue with TV and movies. And there are all sorts of these groups. They're like a cottage industry coming, popping up in the Midwest, on the coasts. and Outrage for hire. Jesus Christ. Yeah. yeah. And it, it was like just any imbecile could start an organization. And right. with new games coming along, with new aggression coming along, came a new aggression against video games. A backlash. Because... Mm. Now there were more games. They were they were more representative. They weren't realistic. But, you know, you could play a game right. and it looked like a guy was jumping on a thing as opposed to just a bunch of blocks like on an Atari. Right. So so they were they were saying that games were causing their kids to get angry, their kids to get violent. And there were, of course, there was, of course, addiction. The idea of kids getting addicted to games. Now, this stuff is like not mm -hmm. non-existent, especially the addiction thing. And. Games, right? That that has that games has today are designed far more to designed to be addicted, addictive. Whereas in the old days, I don't know, you play a game, sometimes you just get hooked on it. Well, games were also so much more difficult that I feel yeah. like it was easier to walk away. Like the, the games, the games today are much better at keeping you invested right. and keeping right. you playing. Um, Loot boxes, baby. So uh, Nintendo had this really strong market share to the point where Nintendo was synonymous with just games. Right. You'd say Nintendo to mean games, same way you'd say Coke to mean soda pop. Right. 
Particularly among grandparents. You play in your Nintendo? Yeah. You know, they made NES like padlocks that parents could lock the door so that a cartridge couldn't be put in until their kid gets done with homework. Fine with all that. That all seems like a perfectly reasonable thing to have. Sure. But it all comes with this like constant moral panic around the games. And it's like, well, stop buying the game for your shitty, ugly kid then. Like, get rid of it. If it's destroying your kid, destroy them. Like, fucking make them watch Disney movies. But then they might go to their friend's house and play, and I can't control them at every moment of their lives. If I can't control them, I can't control my inevitable death. And, and of course, this was the same problem people were having with Dungeons & Dragons. Uh, This is the same problem they were having with um, comic books back in the 50s and the seduction of our youth. This is the same problem that they had with Mickey Mouse and slapstick cartoons in the 1930s. Well, to be fair, with the 50s and the comics, uh, the Joker was constantly trying to trick Batman into his boner. Yeah, well, the thank you, AJ. Lousy with boners. He's he's bonery with louses. <laughs> I just, I just, I got, my brain put whatever amount of penises you're thinking of, my brain put 20 more onto the Joker's entire face. AJ, this might surprise you. I was not actually thinking of any penises. Oh, well, then yeah. I, exactly 20 were put on the Joker's <laughs> face. And and I can't I can't stress enough how much it looked exactly like Jared Leto. So, um, of course, in the arcades, we had games that were pushing the limit. We had Mortal Kombat. Which, by the way, is so much more violent oh, than wait, Night Trap. No, Mor- Mortal Kombat um, is extremely violent. It's, it's fully grotesque yeah. violence. And it is the same stuff you would have seen in Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. Um... Yeah. <laughs> Ten years mm-hmm. earlier. Um, Kaliman. So there's some media pressure when Night Trap comes out. I can't find a whole lot of it. I found a newspaper article from May, which is when Sega actually uh, introduces a rating system. Um, also, as Night Trap got released on the Sega CD, they also had released Mortal Kombat on Sega and Nintendo. This is important. Nintendo released the game censored. Huh. There were no fatalities and there was no blood. Sega released as full a game as can be from an arcade to a console uh, adaptation in the 90s. They had blood. They had the fatalities. That's a big selling point. Again, this will be important. So there is something brewing against them in the media, some parents getting angry. So Sega introduces a rating system, a Sega-specific rating system. So a game can have a GA general audience rating, an MA-13 or an MA-17. They slap the MA-17 onto Mortal Kombat and... And onto Night Trap. So this is May. It's because the woman's in her underwear. Is that? I don't know, man. Let, well, I mean, we'll tr- we'll try to piece this apart in a in a little bit, but yeah. And they specifically say in this article from May that they spoke to Nintendo about Nintendo introducing its own rating system, and then there's not really any follow up from Nintendo after that, which is very strange considering the role they're about to play. Um, there was a TV violence hearing that month in May led by a Democratic Senator Howard Metzenbaum from Ohio. And he threatened to, quote, come down heavily on the television industry. Oh, yeah. In a way, in an attempt to curb TV violence. And a lot of the TV violence stuff was spurred by negative responses to The Simpsons, negative responses to Married with Children. Um, and then actually right. cops uh, inspired quite a bit of 
backlash because of how violent it was and like cops shouldn't have been on the air for other reasons right namely that it was yeah, fucking for, cops. for a multitude of other um, but you know it, it, the thing about the simpsons is interesting yeah. because i i don't remember because i i grew up watching the simpsons yeah. like that was a uh my parents made the decision that i couldn't watch south park because that was a little bit and, too yeah south park is actually gross and actually very sexual and very violent and full of right. swears but but the simpsons was you know my mom watched a couple episodes and she was just like you know at the end of the day it always comes about to the importance of the family mm-hmm. and how important that family unit is and they're like it's like a happy ending and there's a lot of heart to it yeah. that uh that she recognized and to her credit she allowed me to watch it but all of the backlash of like bart being a bad example for kids <laughs> and like they're talking about their parents and they're saying don't have a cow man <laughs> there got to be a point where i was actually seeing on fox news mm-hmm. that the simpsons was bad yeah. but as a yeah. kid i was not actually experiencing any yeah. of that like none of my friends were talking back to their parents because of the <laughs> simpsons they were talking back to their parents because uh, they were they were nine-year-old kids well and and know? my family was one of those families that opted out of watching the simpsons we'd watch home improvement and change the channel um my parents never saw an episode of the simpsons but the rhetoric around it was so strong that they were like oh yeah we don't want our kids watching that but then like i showed my parents the simpsons last year and they were like, oh, wow, this is such a nice show. <laughs> it really is. Like, there's so there is a lot of heart yeah, to it. it. It's it's very clever. It's very silly. And, and they really dig it. And they watch stuff that's edgier than The Simpsons ever was. Um, not that they necessarily watch Matlock. edgy. T- <laughs> My mom loves Matlock so much. Just like Abe Simpson. Here's the thing, Brian. Matlock's great. <laughs> I disagree. I only watch the episodes that Don Knotts is in. <laughs> Matlock! So, uh, and most of this article that I found from May focused not on Night Trap, never mentioned Night Trap. I think it mentioned Mortal Kombat, but it was focused more on Streets of Rage. So it shows you again where oh. the stuff is coming from and where it's going, uh, just like Cotton Eyed Joe. <laughs> but- a, man, a man of uh, mysterious origin. <laughs> And an even more mysterious future. And Sega was specifically competing with Nintendo, not for the same market share, but for an older market share. Sega wanted to release games with more violence and blood, just like what was in movies and TV, just like what teenagers get posters of on their walls, because they were trying to reach teenagers. And their yeah, they wanted a mascot with their market share for the whole Sega brand was about 30 percent adults. And for the Sega CD specifically, it was 60% adults. Wow. And a lot of that non-adult share was teenagers. I mean, not a lot of people bought the Sega CD, but... (laughs) um, It's true. Uh, Out of this pool of 100 And and of course, this is no one... No one is here talking about computer games, which have been adult since the very beginning. Leisure Suit Larry games are coming out. And there's there was some controversy. There were people talking about it, but this was not getting any of the attention. It was the home video consoles. It was not the PC. Right. Leisure Suit Larry is is a catastrophe of of a game. It's truly bleak and bad. And I, you know, I feel like that actually has more dire consequences for our culture than fucking Night Trap. I mean, that's that's what we're gonna get to is here. Is there is a cultural issue that has maybe some valid points, but none of it is actually reflected by Night Trap itself. Okay, well, it looks like we are doing a two-parter. Come on back for the second episode where we talk about Night Trap and the uh, congressional hearing on video game violence. 
If you want to see more of what we've done, check out our YouTube channel, also called The Worst of All Possible Worlds. We would now like to thank our sponsors, which are not the concept of the color orange, but in fact, our patrons on Patreon. That includes Octavia Immersive, Dominic Russo, Nate Netsley, Aeneas Hemphill, Benjamin R. Alford, and a special thank you to Nikola Donov. If you would like to become a patron, why don't you walk over to our Patreon, that's patreon.com slash worst of all, and you can check out special bonus features related to our videos and premium episodes of the podcast. Until next time. Yeah.